Hello, y'all. Welcome. Dr. Nicole Truesdale here. I'm your host and guide for my podcast, Abolitionist Dreamscapes. So this is episode four, y'all. Episode four. And today we're going to talk about the relationship between the ancestors and queerness. And uh, doing so, I'll talk about how it was working with my elevated ancestors and Orisha in particular that really made the space to allow me to start to question whether I was actually straight or not, even though I had been in a um, relationship and marriage for the past 15 years. And in that question making, it really allowed me to start to truly break out of the type of conditioning that I didn't realize that I had kind of confined my sense of self in, even though I understood that type of conditioning because of the things that I teach. Okay, so let's get into it. Before I do, though, I first want to do a couple of shout outs and mentions. Um, the work that I do in the public, this podcast, being able to teach in the public on platforms like TikTok and IG, along with my YouTube, can only be possible through the support of my um, patrons and donors. And so first, I want to give a shout out, a big shout out to my patrons and my Patreon. I have a Patreon of the same name, Abolitionist Dreamscapes, in which I go much more into various lessons, contemplations, and music musings around what it means to acknowledge the type of oppressive systems that have constructed our sense of self, our relationship to one another, and how we understand living in life, therefore our humanity, what happens when we start to not only question but break those types of conditionings while at the same time making space and opening up the ability to dream of new ways of knowing being that actually center our humanity, we have to understand how we've dehumanized ourselves and one another in order to dream about the humanizing ways that we can actually create spaces of living that are sustainable for life after us. And so that's for me, Abolitionist Dreamscapes, and I do that on my Patreon. And so my patrons, the support of my patrons allows me to continue to um, have these creative projects like this podcast in the public. Um, and so if you would like to donate or be a part of that, I'll have it in the show notes of how to do so below. And I also have supporters, donors who show me love um, in various ways through either my Cash App, my Zelle, PayPal, or Venmo. And I'm really um, I'm grateful for that as well. And so for those who have donated to me over the past year, um, just know that those donations do help sustain my ability to um, make space to be able to, again, to teach and dream in the public. And so if you would like to donate and support to projects like this one, um, you can do so. I'll have the show notes below of how to do so. And I'm also starting to host small conversations in person um, for Black, queer, non-binary um, folks and women, both cis and trans, who live in the Chicagoland area. So my first salon conversation will be September 17th, in which we're going to be talking about the relationship between abolition and ancestors, especially as Black folks who sit at the margins of these kind of racial capitalist societies. What does it mean to invoke those who came before us in the present so that we can make space for our dreams in the future that are that center Blackness, queerness, um, and our ability to conjure new ways of knowing and being. And so um, if you're interested in that, again, I'll have that in the show notes as well. And that'll be the first of many to come. Okay. All right. So that's all I got for advertisements and for announcements. Um, so let's get into it. All right. So Ancestors and queerness, y'all. If you've been following me for a while, you'll know that I came out much later in life at 40. No, I just turned 42. Um, my birthday was last week, actually, on the 21st. 
the day of revolution, day of revolution. So um, August 21st is also the date that the Haitian revolution kicked off in 1790, 1791. And also the same date the Nat Turner rebellion kicked off too. So I always say August 21st is the day of revolution and rebellion. And it's a date that I'm honored to have been born on and continue that kind of energy. And um, so the last uh, week I've been really contemplating uh, the last year of my life, because again, the birthdays bring your solo return and your son comes back to the starting point of where you were born. And so it's time of reflection, as well as a time of visioning out of where you're going to go. And the last year really has been one of me settling into what it means for me to be quote unquote gay. Um, I came out to myself really in January of 2022. I believe I mentioned in the first episode, or maybe the second one. I can't remember right now. But that kind of coming out process to me was initially a breaking process in which my brain broke. And I talk about it that way because that's what it felt like. It felt like my brain was breaking as I allowed the question to start to emerge in my consciousness of whether I was straight or not. And I remember being on the phone with a friend. It was January. I had just moved into a house. We had bought my ex-husband and I had finally bought a house. We were living in the middle of Michigan where his parents lived. I had just left my career in higher ed. We had moved from Rhode Island and I had kind of settled into this idea that my life was now one that I was going to be more at home. I was trying to think about homeschooling my child because they were interested in a different way of learning. I figured maybe I needed a much more quieter life in the country, even though <laughs> it was a really white space and I really didn't subconsciously truly want to be there, but I didn't know the, no, another place to go because I was just so burnt out and tired. And this is what happens when you're in burnout, y'all. When your body has been broken down so much that your mind it's just on autopilot, we revert back to these kind of so-called safeties and comforts that may not really be comfortable, but it's all we know. And so that familiarity gets mistaken for comfortability. And in that comfortability, we do things that really don't honor our true nature, but it is giving us a, at least a kind of initial um, fix that has us feel comfortable in the decisions that really aren't for us. So all that to say, I moved my ass back to the middle of Michigan, but knew good and goddamn well I didn't want to be there. <laughs> but I didn't know where else to go because I had not rectified the relationship with me and my own family, especially my mother. And so I was also running from having to face myself and my past as I was starting to break away from all of the types of identity markers that I had held onto that defined me. So academic, intellectual, right, um, administrator, uh, and these kind of very work-focused performances of self when I let all that go and was just faced with me, right? That's when I got faced with the other types of my reality, which was my relationships and my marriage. And so when I put myself in that kind of isolating space in the middle of Michigan, the country, and then we had finally, after a year of searching, because this is during the height of the kind of lockdowns in which housing prices were crazy. And there was a way that we, I figured, both of us had figured being in a small town meant that we'd have a better chance of finding a home, but that was not actually accurate at all. Everyone was trying to go to small towns and be in the country because of the work from home um, kind of phenomenon that was emerging as a new way of us engaging with work in these very capitalistic systems, right? Everyone was trying to figure out what is this thing called life now and living that we're now being faced with. 
And so when I finally got the house right, we were in the house. The It was palatable how much I realized that this was not my life. It was just me and this man and our child in this small space. And it felt like every day I was wake up and drowning in water. Um, I barely wanted to get out of bed most of the days. And when I did, all I could muster uh, putting on was some sweatpants and a baggy shirt or a baggy or uh, a sweatshirt and kind of just going through the motions of the day. And when the Christmas break hit at that time, so it was the end of 20. At the end of 2021, um, my ex um, took um, him and our child down to Florida because, again, that's where my in-laws tended to go for the break. But this time I didn't go. So if you were in episode one, I talked about being in Florida during 2019 to 2020, and that's starting to open me up to the fact that I I wanted a freedom. And then back then in 2021 um, into 2022, that went to a break. I stayed um, by myself while they went away. And it was during that next break that my brain started to finally break open because I realized that I was miserable and I had to start asking myself, what actually do I want? Now, this question was one that had been presented to me, though, for two years prior. When I was working and going um, to my godfather in person when I was living in Rhode Island, there was a way that Ifa, when I would go to the Oracle and um, he would talk to me, or Ifa would talk, right, through the different ancestors would come down and Orisha would come down. There's a way that um, there was a consistent question being asked of me. And the question was, are you basically, are you sure you want to be in this relationship? Um, Orula asked that from the very first time I set my ass on that mat. And then it kept coming up in different ways for me to question the relationship I was in. Then my ancestors would come in, and in particular, my great-grandma, Lily, she was very adamant because when you are in these traditions, you have to go through your ancestors first before you can get to Orisha. Ancestors got to get permission um, because they are the ones who are here um, in the flesh, and so they are the closest to us as humans, and then from them, we have our guides and Orisha and then Olodumare. Okay, and that's a really rough kind of sketch about um, levels and, and different kind of quote unquote dimensions within the spiritual traditions. And so when um, I would come to the mat and we would be talking and I would get the advice, the advice was always about questioning my relationship. The problem is this, though, y'all. My godfather, even though he was born in this tradition, is still a man, is still a man um, who was in a society that is that is heavily influenced by Christian patriarchy, just as this society is. And so when I would have those messages, the interpretation that I was given was that I needed to be more diligent about showing up in my marriage. So basically I needed to be a better wife. And that really was the kind of analysis that I was giving and the takeaway I was given was that I needed to be more conscious about being open with him and trying to make things work because Ifa was also making it very clear that I was miserable. Ifa would tell me I needed to look at my anger, I needed to look at my depression, that I needed to ask myself, why was I angry and depressed? Why would I feel like every day when I would wake up, I was going through the motions? Quite frankly, why I felt like sex was sometimes a chore, even though I really craved it. As I got older, my sexual drive, I realized, was getting more palatable, but yet I wasn't necessarily satisfied when we were having these kind of acts. And I thought it was because I myself was, I had gotten gained weight. I thought maybe it was just because I, again, I was tired. 
I didn't necessarily have the best outlook on how I looked, right? So I didn't feel great. So I figured that that was all contributing to essentially a not great sex life with in a relationship with somebody who I was kind of frankly, barely tolerating. And I felt that he barely tolerated me, but we were performing this kind of thing called a heterosexual, heteronormative relationship, right? Well, that wasn't really what Ifa was actually telling me. Ifa was telling me to look at the damn marriage and ask myself if I really wanted it or not. But see, when you are conditioned to think about marriage in a way that is both static, but also inevitable, and this idea that we are, we are naturally born to be straight, so therefore when you're craving a relationship, it's with someone of the opposite sex, we miss a lot of actual nuances and we're not, we don't really hear the level of wisdom and knowledge that the ancestors and other primordial beings trying to bestow upon us. Because who told us that the spiritual realm sees things in a heteronormative nature? Who told us that when we are being talked to about relationships, it always means a man or a woman, whatever that, how is that, however that's defined in your society, right? Who brought those types of learnings and um, analysis down and made that somehow the norm that we are all beholden to? Like, who told us that, right? It sure as hell wasn't our ancestors if you come from the diaspora. If you are a Black or Indigenous in these um, Western nation-state projects that we now call um, na nations, right, in the, in the present day, who told us that that was the norm? That is not our norm. And historically, when we really look at our past, pre-colonization, but even in the colonial, right, if we see what the colonial projects did and how they were so meticulous in ensuring that they broke our traditions by breaking our relationship we had to our land, to our ancestors and our practices, right, that breaking was on purpose so that they were able to supplement their understanding of relationships and life that is very binary in nature and rigid so that it was a literal severing of what it means for us to engage in this thing called life. And so even in these traditions that are that are hold on to these um, more ancient and primordial practices, we have to remember that they were still influenced by these Christian colonial projects. And so for me, when I was going to Ifa from day one, it was not just Ifa and Orula, it was Oshun coming down, Elagua coming down, Obatala coming down, Shango coming down, Ogun coming down. Then it was Olokun was coming out alongside my ancestors. It was a consistent message over and over and over again to ask myself what I wanted in my relationships, what brought me pleasure, what did I desire and can I work with and ask myself what this, what my depression and what my anger was trying to tell me, right? But when it's being interpreted by and we're giving up our sense of kind of self or autonomy in the interpretation to those who are designated as the, the priest or priestess, the babalawo, the teacher, whoever it is, right? 
whoever is the one who is opening the oracle, interpreting it, when they themselves have not done the kind of deconditioning work to ask how they are attached to systems that are counterintuitive to the traditions they are engaging in, then the message will get garbled. The message will be tainted with the colonizer, with the colonial. And that is how the spirit, right, the essence of colonization makes its way into these very indigenous-based practices that are counter to that cosmology and ideology, right? And so it was, and really this comes down to the fact that we have to acknowledge that our ancestors and the primordials that we engage with, that we venerate, that we worship, right? Orisha and one of them are also queer. <laughs> they are also queer as hell. Now, queerness is a term that we use in the modern day. So that term itself may seem uh, a bit awkward or a bit weird when we place it upon these kind of ancient and primordial entities and beings. But at the same time, the essence behind what queerness is, is embodiment is the embodiment of our indigenous practices, right? Because to be queer means you allow yourself to move outside the normative that is binary and rigid in nature. Queerness is about understanding that we are more than an either or. It is always a nuance in gray. This is why in, in um, some uh, languages, they don't even have pronouns. This idea of he and she doesn't make any sense because you are a person. You are a being, and that being interacts with other beings in this thing that we call life, and that creates societies, right? And so when we're thinking about how to return back to our ancient ways, we have to remember that those who we came from did not operate in these same rigid categories and classification schemes that we are operating in today. And so for us to come back to them, we got to come back to self because our ancestors are in us. They are literally in our body. So the more that we kind of break from the type of conditioning we were told we are by breaking apart and questioning all of these identities we hold on to, from race to gender to class to sexuality to um, ability status to all of it, right? All of it. When we question the kind of foundations of who we are and why we have those assumptions, it starts to create the space for us to get to know the deeper sense of self, which is where our humanity lies. And that is where our ancestors are. That is where the primordials are, the ones who have elevated, but are just needing us to tap back into self so that they can emerge and help guide us into different ways of living that honor our sense of self because it honors them. And that is what starts to break the coloniality in these, in these societies that keep telling us we are nothing more than the kind of worker who needs to be of service and be put into and, and settle into relationships that keep us in these same performative worker service roles. Because think about it this way, y'all. Who does marriage serve? Who does marriage really serve in the way it's constructed now between a man and a woman, especially in these Western societies? It doesn't really serve the person, especially if you are the woman or if you are the femme in the relationship, because the marriage in this kind of nuclear family reduces us down into a very individualized units that in order to sustain, you both now must work. So the nuclear family ensures that you will be beholden to a system that needs your labor, because in order to sustain that nuclear family that is isolatory in nature, but requires you to keep up appearances, uh, being able 
able to, you know, provide for at least two kids, right? Have a home, have all of these material possessions that indicate your quote unquote success. That is a trap of a system that gets you to buy into it so that you always see yourself as needing to be a laborer that has to keep producing so that you can afford to keep up this performance of the heteronormativity that the relationship is um, is supposedly providing for you, right? And that is told that is what safety and security is. But when we take a step back and actually ask ourselves, who does that benefit? That don't benefit nobody. <laughs> it benefits nobody, y'all. It benefits nobody because we're not allowed then to actually have relationships. Community is always centered in around where you work um, and who you're working with. The types of schoolings we're in and institutions we have access to then get dependent upon the type of economic um, income you have because that determines your neighborhood. All those things start to kind of come together and we realize then that part of the way these societies function and maintain is through keeping us literally sick, ignorant, and in a state of constant burnout because that doesn't allow us to question then whether we really want it or not. And that was what the ancestors were asking me to do, question. That was what Orisha were asking me to do, question. They were asking me to question the fundamentals, foundations of who I thought I was because I had never given myself the permission or space to do so. And it was a very simple question. Girl, are you really straight? <laughs> and when that question finally surfaced, when it came to my consciousness and it really sat in my consciousness, in January of 2022, that is when my brain broke. That is when the brain broke and my voice came out and it finally was like, no, girl, no. And it kept getting louder until I finally articulated it out to a friend on the phone and was like, I don't think I'm, I, I think I'm queer. I don't, I don't think I'm straight. I mean, at all. And she was like, yeah, keep going. And it just came out. I said, I'm gay. <laughs> I think I like women. And I've never asked myself that. And it was in that breaking up and that breaking up of the former sense of self of who I was by breaking up with this idea that I had to keep being in a relationship that was not working for either one of us and feeling as if it was my responsibility to fix it because I had had an interpretation from ancestors and Ifa that said I was supposed to fix it. When I allowed myself to sit in my own truth and honor myself, when I went back and reviewed those previous readings, I was able to hear the message very differently. Ifa, Orisha, ancestors, great, my great-grandma Lily in particular, was not asking me to fix a relationship that was already on dying legs. It was asking me to honor myself in the relationship I had with myself so that I could really figure out who to be in relationship with. They were giving me permission to break up with my marriage, quite frankly. But because the person I was going to, even again, even though as a Babalawo who had been in tradition since he was born, the culture we are in is one in which when you get married, especially if you have any kind of Catholic influence, right, or Christian influence, it is your responsibility to make it work. And we're told in this society that marriage is work, right? And if you're the woman or the feminine the relationship, you know, you're supposed to be able to accept the fact that your, your mate may not be able to uh, meet your emotional needs, but that's just what it means to be a man. And how narrow minded and how narrowing is that for those who identify as men? 
men to be made um, and taught that you don't have the emotional depth to hold space for not only your own emotions, but everybody else's, right? All of it is dehumanizing. All of it does not allow us to show up as ourselves. We show up as identities and performances of those identities that keep us, again, beholden to the structure so that we don't question. So again, we're always in this performance of of what we are told benefits society, but does not necessarily benefit us, especially, again, if you Black or Indigenous in these racial capitalist, anti-Black, anti-Indigenous, anti-queer, um, anti-disabled societies, right, and worlds. When you are in a production, racial, capitalistic, focused location, everything gets reduced down to how you can give up more of your labor and your service without getting um, payment back or any kind of resource or compensation back equal to that labor and service. Because again, this is all an extractive society. And so coming back to this idea of ancestors and queerness then, we have to realize that our ancestors were not just inherently queer, that they were also uh, entities and they were also um, these types of locations in our past that showed us different ways of being. Because the queerness of our ancestors is understandings of time that are not linear in nature and progressive, understandings of relationship and family structures that don't reduce us down to these individualistic units that can barely survive. They had understandings of children and child rearing that gave children personhood and weren't just seen as property. The idea, again, of gender, of strict man and woman, and they have different types of roles and designations that didn't make any sense, especially since many societies were matriarchal. Um, they had different type of economic systems. So queerness of our ancestors reminds us that there was a multitude ways that our people before us figured out how to cohabitate with one another, and it did not revolve around always being conquesting one another. It was not rooted in a violence that said, once I see somebody or something that is different than me, but I want to take what they have because it benefits me, that I can then construct this whole new reality that says I can be justified in doing so because my understanding of, of God is somehow superior than yours, right? Our ancestors did not have that rigid understanding of life. And so when we're coming into the present and figuring out how do we really abolish these oppressive systems, how do we come back to our sense of self that is not reproductive of oppression. We've got to come back to a realization that queerness in our ancestors is a kind of fundamental um, interaction that we have to acknowledge. But to acknowledge that, you got to acknowledge the queerness in you. Ah, see, and when I say that, how do you feel? What comes up? Do you automatically go to, well, I'm not gay. I didn't say if you were gay. Queerness allows you to sit outside the boundaries of society. Queerness allows you to ask yourself the question. And even if you realize, well, no, actually I do. I am attracted to somebody who's of the opposite sex to me. Then at least you know that is what you actually feel, not what you were told. So therefore, because you are afraid to question those foundations and explore yourself, you then shut off the possibility, which means you double down 
down in this type of very heteronormative, violent patriarchy of self that then is what you express to others. And so when you're not allowed to really be yourself, when you have to stuff yourself down over years and centuries, right? And then you pass that down in your lineage to others. No wonder that we have so many folks who have such visceral reactions to simple questions like, are you really straight or not? Right? The reaction to the question tells you um, a lot more than the answer to the question off the bat itself. And I think that's where queerness allows us to um, open up and our ancestors, our primordial ancestors, the elevated ancestors are there willing and able and wanting to enter in and teach us these different ways of being, but we have to make the space first. And so this is why I really believe in the type of abolition of self when we're also talking about abolition of structure, because the individual and structure are always having a conversation. You just have to ask yourself which conversation you're having and how is that conversation being influenced? And it is our ancestors and, and understanding who they were and how they operated and how they had to negotiate and whether those negotiations really work for them or not in the past, that when we can bring those kind of different knowings in the past and the present, it really gives us a different understanding of who we are and where we came from so that we can have different possibilities for futures. And again, this is what Orisha and ancestors have been teaching me over these past few years and continue to teach me in the present day. So I'm going to stop there uh, because that really, to me, um, is a good introduction to what it means to engage with queerness and our ancestors, um, in particular through these various ATRs. But even if you don't come from a African traditional religion, you do still have ancestors. Um, and in those ancestral lineages, in those ancestral conjurings, there is a way you can start to excavate the idea of who you really are when you give yourself permission to ask to really delve into where you came from. And in order to figure out where you came from, you got to then interact with the past that has a hell of a lot of um a hell of a lot of permutations that have been denied to us because we live in a society as well that does not want us to know our past because it is it has too much weight in the present. So ancestral work and ancestral veneration and lineage understandings of where you come from require a facing of the truth of the past. And in a, again, a society that does not want to face its past and not want to face its truths, when you start to do that work ancestrally, you will be going into truths that will butt up against the foundations of what you were told. And this is where you're going to really start to feel the weight of that historical past and the present. And you have to ask yourself then, are you truly committed to abolishing these systems? And in order to abolish these systems, you have to be able to willing, be willing and able to face that historical past that is rooted in a violence that either gave you in the present a space to be able to ignore, ignore that past because you occupy a position of privilege, or you're in a position that you have to face that past because that past is what is um, creating a present that is oppressive for you in nature. Okay. So just some things to muse about. Next time uh, we come back, we're going to talk some more about um, the ancestors and what it means to actually work with them by learning from them and how working with them is not necessarily the same thing as venerating them, but veneration and work 
with ancestors do um, have a relationship that has to be both examined um, separately in order to understand how they work together and synchronistically. Okay. All right. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.